actually starting and kicking off the brand new series that we're about to run into that we've called Most Often. Now, I know that some of you already will have seen the title screen and you're kind of like, well, what the flip is that about? Like, what, what's that going to be about? Well, here's the thing. This is kind of, if you were to sum up what we believe as a church is simply this. We believe that when you follow Jesus, granted, he does make your life better, but he also makes you better at life. And I think that this series is really going to be about taking some time out to maybe lean into what the scriptures can teach us and tell us about how we can get better at the things that we do most often in life. We're going to be talking about how you make the most out of what you do the most. Now, the subject of everything we're going to talk about today, some of you are going to absolutely love it. You're going to be so like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is just brilliant. And others amongst us, you're going to be like, man, I hate this church. I am never coming back to Liverpool One Church. This place sucks. So I get it, right? There's going to be like two totally contrasting camps amongst us. But just bear with me because we want to talk to you about the very thing where many of us often spend most of our time, we wanna to talk to you about work. Now, some of you are like, are you for real? I mean, like I've been working six days this week and I've come to this church for the first time and now you wanna to talk to me about the very thing that I've hated doing the last six days? This place is rubbish. Look, I totally get it, but honestly, I really think that there's so much that we can truly learn from Scripture that can help us be better at what we do most often. So no matter where your work in life finds you right now, I wanna just encourage you, like lean in for the next few minutes that we've got together. Because I promise you, no matter even where you are on your journey of faith, what we're gonna talk about is gonna practically help you. And even if you're maybe checking church out today, you don't even say that you're a Christian. I want you to know that's totally fine with us. We're glad that you're here. We're totally glad that you've given us a short window of your time to be with us for service too. And even if you want, I give you permission to do this because like maybe it's your first time in. Even if you want, you can like take the Bible bits out of this and just walk home with all the practical advice. And I promise you, it's still gonna help you make the most out of what you do the most. So we're going to jump in to look in at the subject of work. A couple of weeks ago, we were just um, flying back into the UK and we had a nightmare of a flight time. It like landed in Manchester at like 2.30, 2.40. And everyone knows that that is like the worst time to fly back. So we ended up like collating our baggage and we jumped into a taxi that we'd booked before and we'd used that firm before. And we knew that we were going to arrive home probably somewhere around the 4 a.m. mark, which is a bit of a nightmare, let's be honest. And when we arrived home after pretty much all of us having fell, fallen asleep in the taxi, the strangest thing happened. The taxi driver gets out of the car and he starts to say to us, hey, listen, I'll carry all of your bags to the door. Don't worry about your cases. And I'm thinking like, no, no, dude, just, just unload it and throw us out. And he's like, no, no, he says, you all must be really tired. He says, let me carry everything to your door. And I'm like, wow, like no taxi driver ever has suggested they're gonna do that before. And then he turns around to Emma, my wife, and he says, and um, hey, I, I've got something for you. And he goes into his boot and he pulls out this Sainsbury's carrier bag. And within the carrier bag, 
is four pints of milk, a box of eggs, and a loaf of bread. And he turns around to Emma and he just goes, you know, these night flights are terrible, right? And he was trying to explain to her, you know, everybody just wants to get home and have a cup of tea and maybe have an omelet, maybe have some toast. And we're like, is this guy even for real? Or is he like an angel? Is that what's happening right now? You know, it's like, who's ever done that before? This is like freaking us out. And we got back into our house and you know what? We didn't speak about the great holiday that we had just once. We spoke about the amazing taxi driver. We were like, man, he is killing it. When it comes to work, this guy is absolutely smashing it, right? But have you ever noticed that sometimes you can find that there are two groups of people? There's one group of people that just seem to be able to find a way to kill it when it comes to their employment and comes to their working life. And then there's another group of us that we can find ourselves in, any one of us at any given time, where we kind of feel, feel to ourselves like, man, work is just hard. I mean, like, I'm not killing it. I'm not winning at it. This is just tough. And it's so important that we talk about this subject of work in terms of how the scriptures would talk to us about it, because the average person will spend 90,000 hours of their lifetime at work. That is a lot of time in the office, right? But what's true is that more than half of British workers are vastly unhappy in their place of work. In fact, there was a 2018 survey that was conducted that showed there were 56% of those that work in Britain right now are completely dissatisfied with their job. They hate going to work. And it's easy for us to understand why. Because work is, if we're honest, the place that causes us at times some of the biggest stresses and biggest concerns. And that makes total sense when you consider a lot of the peripheral aspects of what often arrives as a result of you going to work. Because when you're in work, that's one thing, doing the daily chores and the daily grind. But there comes a point where maybe you've got to make some big killer decisions like, am I going to go for a promotion? Am I going to leave the company and start my own thing? Am I going to produce my own product and try and move into retail with that now? How am I going to get on the training course? How am I going to better interact with everybody that's around me? We all know that work can really be one of the biggest stresses and strains. And the problem with stress and strain in the work environment is that you're the same as me, right? It spills into everywhere else of your life. So it's often the case that when you're having a bad day in work, you're going to have a bad day at home. You're going to have a bad day with the kids. You're going to have a bad day over your weekend and just not enjoy life. And we all know what this is like. So the first thing that you've just got to know about work, like the one thing that you've got to understand from the outset is that work, don't shoot me, I'm just the messenger, but work was actually God's idea. In fact, you have been designed and created. You have been hardwired to work. Your inner circuitry, your inner software of your thought life is programmed to flourish when you work. In fact, you work best when you work best. But don't take my word for it. Let me kind of show you in Scripture why I think this is true for us all. So we're going to go to the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And for those of you that might be interested in this type of stuff, there is something in the scriptures that's called the law of first mention. 
And what that basically refers to is whenever something is written down or recorded or brought to the forefront of our attention for the first time, it's something that you should always pay extra special attention to it because it carries a great degree of significance for our lives today. So let's go to Genesis 2 and pick up the story on or around creation. So verse 8 to 9 reads, Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, let's jump to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it. God put Adam in the garden to go to work. And what I want you to see from this short passage of Scripture that's just on the canvas of creation from the beginning and outset of time, that God in his creative brilliance, once he had designed and formed us as human beings and placed us in this environment, he set to it that you were designed and created to go to work. Now, I get it. Like watching movies, Netflix, playing on the PlayStation, going on a spa day, you know, doing some kind of retreat, running away for a weekend. That's all heaps of fun stuff. Window shopping to some of you might sound like eternal pleasure. But the bottom line is, is those things are relaxation items in our life that we love and we appreciate, but you're only really going to love and appreciate them after you've been to work because rest is only rest once you've worked. Rest without work is called downright lazy, okay? Just saying it, just putting it out there. And I think that we've got to understand that our pastimes are made most enjoyable because what happens is, is you recuperate after you've been doing the very thing that God had designed and created you to do, to work. A rest becomes rest when and only when you've been working. Now, don't think for a moment right now that we're only talking about work in the sense of a job that you would receive some kind of financial remuneration because there are many other types and kinds of work that we are all involved in. Maybe you're a young person and haven't even started your career yet. Well, this talk will still relate to you, I assure you. In fact, some of the best workers I know don't actually work in the sense that they hold down a job and a career. In fact, some of them are right here in our very church family. You know, there's a great older couple in the life of our church who are called John and Terry. Now, they're at the age of retirement and um, they serve this church. They work at this church so diligently every single weekend that they've made it a thing that they provide breakfast for... Yeah, woo! We love the breakfast. <laughs> Like, do we love John and Terry or do we love the breakfast? I'm kind of not sure. But, but here's the thing, that they, that they come and they work and they serve this church, all the volunteers, and provide them breakfast at 10 a.m. before we even move into service. And often, you know what? Because if they come the six, they'll come and serve and then go home and then come back for the six. I mean, it's just the craziest of things. And yet, they are some of the best examples 
of what real work actually is. I think that they are incredible. So please don't think that maybe if you are retired that this talk doesn't relate to you because we're talking about working in life in general and not solely about picking up a paycheck. And we're talking about it because what this scripture in Genesis shows us and tells us is that from the very first start of the timeline of history that God stamped into the heart of man a work ethic. And what's interesting is that God placed many of the things that we value and sometimes considered to be more important and more significant than work, God placed them after he had given Adam a job of working in the garden. Look at this. In verse 15, God gives Adam a job, but it's not until verse 18 that God gives Adam Eve as a wife. There's so much in that, but my point is, is that before God gave Adam a wife, God thought that it was more important that first Adam had a job. So, relationship lesson right here. (laughs) Girls, if you want a husband that's going to work hard at the marriage, make sure that he's working hard somewhere else first. Because if he doesn't work hard first and have a high work ethic now before you're married, he'll never have it when you are married. Guys, if you want the girl, make sure you get out of bed early and mow the lawn. Like just do something, find a job, be a worker. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... (laughs) All the girls are like, woo, and all the guys are like, man, this sucks. (laughs) But the reality is this, God values work in your life. He's not saying this because he's worried about you being bored. He knows that when you're not working, it will adversely affect your mental health. When you're not working, your mind goes crazy. When you're not working, your hands get into trouble. Anybody feel more fulfilled just when you've done a good, hard day's work? Well, that's not by chance or mistake. It's because that's who God's made you to be. So whether you're a pastor, a communicator, a construction worker, a primary school teacher, an entrepreneur, a stay-at-home mum, you've got to understand that rooted in God's perfect design and creation was this idea that you would work. Even Jesus worked. He was a carpenter, as was his dad, Joseph. He was a woodworker also. Scripture even talks about how God himself goes to work and gets his hands dirty when he made man out of the dust of the ground. So in other words, I think that it's safe to say that God values the importance of work in all of our life. So if we wanna get better at the things that we do most often, what can we learn from Scripture? What can we learn from Scripture that would help us make the most out of what we do the most? Is there a better way for us to do that which we do most often? I think there is. With your work life, you've got to know, and it's probably the same for all of us, that there are two main reasons, two main causes that it's most likely that you're going to be unhappy in your work. And often there can be more. There can be a number of factors, but on the whole, there's two main reasons why. If you don't like going to work, it's probably because of one of these two reasons. The first reason why you might not like going to work is your boss. 
Like when your boss is just, yeah, front row, P45s on Monday. But if you do not like going to work, chances are it's going to be down in part to your boss. Because if you're unhappy, maybe it's because relationally things are just not good between you and whoever is your supervisor, your line manager, or your direct report. When you don't get on with whoever is above you, and bearing in mind they are the ones that check your work, they are the ones that authorize your annual leave. When you don't get on with them, it can make your work life miserable. And the truth is, is that when you have a good boss, you can be in a really bad job that kind of like is dirty, hard, sweaty, laborious work, but have a great boss. Maybe it doesn't pay so great, maybe the package isn't brilliant, but you've got a great boss, you're gonna love going to work. But the same is true in reverse. You can have a really great job that brings you financial reward, that maybe enables you to travel, do all of the perky things that you have always wanted to do. You get the package, the benefits, but the bottom line is, is your boss is just a nightmare and he or she is cruel and unkind and unsupportive and there's no relationship there. And that's why it's possible for you to be in a really good job and yet absolutely hate your work life. And that kind of means two things. It means that if you're a boss, it means that you've got to be really mindful that if you've got people underneath you that work for you, that you're the one that sets the temperature in the office. Like the moment that you're unstable and you come in and people don't know like which guy are we going to get today, the happy one or the, the suicidal one, the angry one, the, the, you know, the peaceful one, who's it going to be today? You know, the moment that you become Jekyll and Hyde, you become so unstable and yet bringing your stable and calm and assertive character to your place of work can be the biggest blessing to those that you employ. And yet also, it's significant that if you are an employee, because that tells us that the way in which you relate to your boss really can determine the direction of your entire career path. Because when you work well and you get on with your boss, the opportunities can be endless. But when you don't get on with your boss, life can feel really difficult in work. You know, and often the problems come. We think they become in our workplace because of two things when there's a problem with your boss, but really it's only one. What we do is we say, well, it's typically him or it's them, or it's all about them. But I promise you, if your boss has got a problem with you, it's probably down to one of two things. It's either going to be your ability or your attitude, but it's much, much less likely to be your ability. It's highly probable that it would be more to do with your attitude because you can have somebody who is low on ability but very high in attitude and they can learn what you need them to learn. When they've got a good attitude and they're willing to give it a shot, they're willing to give it a stab, you can teach into them the skills that they need to be effective in the job. But when you've got low um, attitude, you can even have high Ability, you're a nightmare for a boss to try and work around. You are hard work. And sometimes we've got to be willing to just take some responsibility and say, is my attitude as good as it could possibly be when I'm in work? And the reason why I want to say that to you is this, is if your boss is the most likely reason for you to be unhappy in work, there's one thing that you can practically do to try and fix that you can now start to change your attitude and change your perspective by thinking that maybe your boss may not be who you think. 
Now, Jesus may not be the foreman on the construction site with you, okay? Jesus may not be on the other end of the telephone. He may not be the one that's in control of your board meetings. But the absolute bottom line is, although he may not physically be with you in your place of work, he's absolutely for you in your place of work. Now, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, thought that it was such an important topic that we should talk about that he speaks about the way in which we should approach our work in life and try and relate to our boss. And this is what he says in Colossians. Uh, is that, do you even know, have you even read the Bible? <laughs> I'm like, Colossians, is that a new book that I've only just found out about? <laughs> in the book of Colossians, yes. Chapter 3, verse 23, this is what Paul writes about and talks about when it comes to work. He says, this is going to be best for you. This is going to help you. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, look, every day that you go to work, work sincerely, work genuinely, Work hard at whatever it is that you're responsible for. Work at it with all of your heart and soul. Work at it in a way that isn't common. Because do you know that when you do that, it's almost like with your work life, you're worshiping and bringing glory to God through your place of employment. He's like, whatever you do, like, don't just see your work life as though you've just got to make whoever's at the end of the till happy for you. No, no, approach your work life as though carrying the same mindset and mentality, as though you're working for Jesus directly. He was saying, look, don't go for a skive when everybody else is going for a skive. Don't cook the books, even though everybody else is cooking the books. Don't take the easy route. He'd be like, come in early, stay late, do the hard miles. You know, when I was in the police, one of the things that I always used to teach the new recruits that were coming in, it was the first thing that I would tell them when I was on a training department. I would always say to them, always take the first job. Because there were a lot of people who my experience would say that when a job was being dispatched over the radio, sometimes there could be a little bit like radio silence, you know? Just kind of the hoping that somebody else would pick it up, especially if it sounded like a bit of a nightmare job or a very long-winded, protracted incident that you were gonna be tied up with. Sometimes it could just be a little bit like radio silence. And I always used to teach them, take the first job. Always take the first job because you've no idea what the second job is going to be. Always shout up and be willing to put your hand in for the very first job. And this is what Paul was saying. Like when you go to work and you know you're working for Jesus, work with 100% of your heart and soul because when you work, you're worshipping Christ. When you worship, it's not just about the songs that we sing. It's about the actions of your entire lifestyle. And that includes how you are and who you are when you're in the office nine to five or on site working shifts. Your work life really can become a worship life when you allow your hands to demonstrate that you follow Jesus non-dependent on what your daily tasks actually are. When I was in the police, there was a cleaner that used to come into the police station every single morning at 5 a.m. His name was Noel. 
You would always know when Noel was in the building because he would whistle everywhere he went. In fact, to the point where sometimes it'd be like, why is this guy so happy? He was a slightly older gentleman and he was responsible for just keeping the police station tidy. He had to hoover the floors. He had to mop out the toilets. He had to always, and this was always the worst job, he had to come in and he had to clean and tidy the entire kitchen that after a night shift was always fully loaded with like 101 cups and plates and all sorts. And do you know what? He was always the happiest person in the police station. If you ever walked past him, he had a smile on his face and he would always greet you. And he was never concerned what rank you were because to him, you were just people and he was there to work and to give it his best and to be his absolute brilliant best with the small things that he was responsible for. You know what? I would give Noel a job tomorrow, 100%. Why? Is it because he had the most taxing of jobs? Perhaps not, but he had the most outstanding of attitudes. And I think that when you have an attitude like that, it really does make your work life so much easier to cope with. In fact, you know, when I think about work and about what's most important for us to go into every day that we work, I think that you and I, if we take a stable and consistent life-giving attitude, it can completely revolutionize your workplace and your working life. Because the bottom line is this, when you approach your work with a great attitude, you're so much easier to be around. And the truth is, it doesn't matter whether you're in the boardroom or the school hall or the hospital ward, your job might suck, but your attitude towards it, it doesn't have to. You can have a great attitude towards wherever it is that you work. Some of you, you don't need to change your job. You just need to change your attitude towards the job that you have. Because some of you, you wanna pray and ask that God would give you your dream job. But until you demonstrate being faithful in the small things and have a good attitude in your dire job, God can't trust you with your dream job. And I think that when we're doing that, we then do what Paul encourages us to do in Colossians 3, where he says, listen, wherever you are, wherever you're going to work, every single day, whatever you do, don't work as though you're only working towards one guy who's your line manager, but approach your work life with a great life-giving attitude and spirit that just says, I'm gonna give it my absolute 100% best because having a great attitude towards the job that nobody wants is the key that unlocks the door to you one day working the job that everybody wants. It all starts with having a great attitude. But how do I do that? Worship when you work. Every day is not a work day. Every day is an opportunity to worship throughout your day. And it doesn't matter whether you're stacking shelves, writing on a chalkboard, painting a building, with every stroke of your paintbrush, worship God. With every surgery that you conduct, worship God. Every time that you stand up in court, every time that you slap the handcuffs on, worship God and put him first. That would be an interesting one. It's like, I arrest you in Jesus' name. <laughs> Not too sure that one will go down too well, especially in Liverpool. But you know, when we do that, it will make your work life so much easier. But the second major cause of unhappiness in the workplace, outside of your boss, are your colleagues. It's the people that you work with. And we can all get hold of this because 
We spend so much time with the people that we work with. Sometimes we spend more time with the people that are our colleagues than we even get the opportunity to spend with our family at home. And this can be difficult. It can be especially difficult if you end up working with people that naturally, relationally, it's just tough, right? Like there's just not, there's just not a cohesion in that. Like he's awkward, she's weird, and you're working there in the middle of it. Or maybe you've got the guy that's just a bully. He's so outgoing and he's never any fun. He's just abusive. Or maybe you've got the girl that's just an absolute avid gossiper and she's creating all kinds of lies and untruths around you. It just spreads like wildfire and it devastates you. You can't control it. You don't know what to do about it. Or maybe you've got someone in your workplace that's just a bit of a nightmare because they don't pull their weight. Or maybe it's the guy that's just got the horrendous attitude. I mean, nobody wants to work with them because they're so negative all the time. It's like every time you're alongside them, you feel like their cloud is descending over you. And this makes sense when you understand that you are designed by God not only to work, but to be a social creature. So in other words, that when when you're in work and you're able, even if it's just momentarily, to share a joke and laugh and smile and yet still accomplish the the task, it makes you feel so much better and more connected into your workplace. In fact, it's so much easier to cope and handle with work when you've got strong relationships with your colleagues. So is there anything that we can learn from Scripture that might help us do better that which we do most often? Is there anything from Scripture that maybe Paul would encourage us to do so that we'd know how to be and work around our colleagues so that maybe we just carry a slightly less degree of unhappiness in and around our workplace? Ephesians 4 verse 2 says this. This is Paul speaking. And he's talking about how to be in your character. He's talking about how to be every day. He's talking about, hey, when you're doing life and you're doing the things that you do most often, make sure that you do this. He says, be completely humble. This is you, not your colleague, not your boss, not your staff. You, be humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says, be humble. Do you know what that means? It just means that you've got a low estimate of your own importance. And I think that that is a really desirable characteristic to have on somebody's life. There's nothing worse than the guy that just thinks he knows everything. Like you can't tell him anything because he knows it all. You can't show him anything because he's already done that. He's done it bigger, better, knows everything. You're stupid. You know, it's kind of like he's just got his life together. Everything's perfect. Paul's like, no, 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 don't be that guy. Be humble. Have a lower, a lower thought life of your own life. Don't think that you're that brilliant. Maybe just allow others around you to excel over you. That's okay. God's got your back. So just be humble. Be gentle. You know, maybe when the banter's getting out of hand and it's directed towards you and you feel like you're going to do one or two things, like they're making fun of you and you're either going to bite back in a really venomous way towards them or you're just going to go and give them a friendly Christian punch in the face. (laughs) You know, Paul's like, there's another way. You can just be gentle. In other words, you don't have to respond. Just just be of a gentle spirit. It's okay. Don't be offended. Don't take offense too easily. If they're making fun at your expense, don't worry about that. It's okay. Be humble, be gentle, and be patient. Got someone on your team or a colleague that's working alongside you? Maybe they don't think as quickly as you. Maybe they're not able to do the thing as well as you or as fast as you. Hey, your approach towards them needs to be one of patience. Help them. 
guide them. If you want a better relational life with the people in your work, be humble, be gentle, be patient. In fact, even Jesus speaks about this in the New Testament in one way or another, because he says, listen, the most important thing is the way in which you love one another. Well, my question is, how are you loving one another in your workplace when you're not being humble, gentle, and patient? If you want to do what Jesus says, then do that. Be humble, gentle, and patient with the people that you work with. That's your opportunity to one another, one another. And when you choose to do that, you become like Jesus. But getting on with your boss and getting on with your colleagues isn't always easy. This is difficult. This is hard. So is there anything that can really help this happen in a real way for each and every one of us? You know, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there's a really interesting thing that happens. Jesus has been crucified on the cross and then he's been raised back by God and brought back to life. And he ends up speaking with the disciples for a few moments. And then it's kind of like a tag you're it kind of situation. And Jesus goes up to be in heaven. But in Acts 1, there is this team meeting that's happening. There is this conversation that's taking place. They're talking about work. They're talking about the best way to move forward with the organization, if you like. They're talking about who is going to replace Judas Iscariot. Because Judas screwed up. He ended up taking his own life. He sold Jesus down the river. Well, now they're going to replace Judas. So how are they going to do it? Well, what they decide is they're going to take lots. They're going to draw lots. And two individuals, two candidates' names were brought to the table. And one of them, was his name was Matthias. And it tells about how the lots were drawn and Matthias was selected to be the new 13th disciple, if you like. But what's fascinating about this working dilemma that they've all had is that in Acts chapter 2, something really significant happens. Because in Acts 2, now the very thing that Jesus has spoken about and promised starts to actually happen. Because before Jesus left and went to be with his Father in heaven, he promised us a helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that would be the one that would guide us into all truth, would direct our lives. And in Acts chapter 2, what we find is that the Holy Spirit, this kind of like helper sent by God, it comes upon these disciples. Now, here is my observation. In Acts chapter one, all the disciples are like, we don't know what to do. We don't know who to choose. We don't know what's gonna be best. So they decide to draw lots. In Acts chapter two, after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, from that point on, there is no record throughout the entire New Testament of them ever drawing lots ever again. The point being that when the Holy Spirit helps you and you're open to Him being the guider in your life, He really can enable you to make wise choices and wise decisions about how to be around your boss and how to be around all of your work colleagues. But it starts when you ask and invite the Holy Spirit, the helper of God, to practically influence every area of your life and as you do that, He will guide you. But I know, and in a moment, we're gonna bring this whole thing to a close, that for some, you're either in a job right now and it still feels like it's overwhelming you. You're like, I can't do this, I can't stomach this, I hate this. 
Or maybe you're in a place of just feeling like an absolute failure because you're like, man, I don't even have a job right now and I've been trying for a job for so long and it just feels like it's not happening. I don't know what opportunities are there. I don't know how this is gonna work out. Maybe even you've been in the situation before when you've had it really great, but then you've made some errors with regards to your work in life and you were demoted. You were going for promotion and you ended up getting demoted. I mean, how terrible must that have been for you? Or maybe you've been on the job and you've made an error or a mistake, financial, or you've screwed up a contract and something's just gone wrong and you kind of feel stuck with your work in life right now. You kind of feel like, I'm not where I want to be and I've no idea how to get to where I dream of being. Like, I've got a picture in my mind's eye about how I want life to be for my work life, but I have no way of ever getting it there because of all the mistakes and all of the failings and all of the problems that I have been and I have caused and I have done from my past. Well, you know, I would love it if every single one of us were to leave church today knowing that non-dependent of any mistake that you've ever made with your work life before, that this can be a brand new day as you ask the Holy Spirit to direct and guide your path. That it doesn't matter how much it went wrong. It doesn't matter the size of the mistake. It doesn't matter about how you spoke and how it all went Pete Tong really, really quickly. Like it just doesn't matter because Paul, the same guy who we've been learning from makes this statement, which is a bold statement to make, I guess. But he says, do you know, do you know that every mistake that you've made and everything that was meant for evil, do you know that the God that we serve, like he can turn that round for your good. Like the thing that you thought has now wrote you off from ever being able to be the company owner, the thing that wrote you off from ever getting into that position, the thing that wrote you off from being accepted onto the course, the thing that wrote you off that stopped you getting through the interview. Do you know that God is able to take all of your working mistakes and failings and he's able to turn them round for your good? So that's what we're gonna close and pray on in just a moment. And we're gonna pray and believe that God when it comes to our work, we're gonna trust that you truly are gonna take all of our past failings and mistakes and somehow, some way, in a way that only you can, you're gonna turn them round for your good. And as I look at my work life, I'm gonna see it as worship life and try and ensure that you receive all the glory from every moment that I am in work. So church, can we stand to our feet? 